Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Holy Father in heaven, we humbly bow our heads this afternoon before you and just desire to again honor you, the Most High God, the one whom we have heard about all day today. Father, you indeed are worthy of all glory and all honor. And we desire, Father, that uh, we would be submitted to your spirit as we speak your word. Father, we just pray that, that you would lead us and you would guide us and that you would strengthen us, that you might be exalted. May your name be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. We have been very blessed today by what we've already heard. It just seems like there's, we're all full, almost to the point of overflowing. Uh, I, I want to start just for a moment, and if I was to ask you to raise your hand, I won't do this, but if you feel a little bit intimidated by, as Brother Mark shared this morning, um, of reaching out and stepping out and going and 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 being all that God wants you to be. I know some of you have shared that you feel timid and you feel weak and you, you feel shy and you don't think you could ever do that. And probably most of you don't ever feel like you could be like Mark. And I don't want to exalt Mark. I just want to, I just want to use him for an example for a moment because most of you don't know Mark like I knew Mark. And I asked him for a little permission to talk about him. But... Mark worked for me when he was 15 years old. I was probably maybe just married, had a little plumbing business, and Mark worked for us uh, learning the plumbing trade. What I remember of Mark was if you would call his name, he would turn red and, or blush. I mean, he was just very, very shy. And I would have never have thought that Mark could ever stand up and speak to you like he's spoken to you over this past week. I would have never thought that Mark could go into a country and, and be all that God has called him to be. And I'm, I'm saying this because I want to encourage you that no matter where you are, we all feel our weaknesses, and, and Mark felt his, and God has just worked through him. And I'm sure Mark would say it's just as God has, has as he submitted himself to God, God has been able to use him. I want to encourage you that every one of you Young men, young women, God can use you, God can break any inhibitions that you have and make you uh, available, make you useful in His kingdom. So I've just been blessed here under, uh, to listen to him, to listen to Brother Norm share uh, about Jesus. It has been so encouraging and so uplifting. Today we're going to talk about honoring Honoring our elders. And in some ways, this, if you think I challenged you yesterday, and I probably did, I'll probably challenge you more today. Because I think that this subject that we're going to talk about, about honoring our elders, really has a lot to do, more to do with even the others as to how we honor God. And so I'm going to challenge you today. I hope I can challenge you very seriously. I hope the Word of God can challenge you. We live in a time when authority is questioned. Authority isn't trusted. And I realize that there's perhaps been years past where authorities have maybe taken advantage of people, thinking of church leadership. And so it's, it's hard to build trust again for a lot of people. And I don't believe that's necessarily the case with with you folks here, maybe with this generation, but in general, that's a problem. It's being able to trust people, trust elders, trust our leaders. So we want to break down those barriers. We want to open our hearts to God and perhaps enable us to trust, tr trust them and respect them perhaps in a way maybe we never have before. Well, we want to talk about, about this topic, and I wrote down, kind of broke it down to different aspects of honoring our elders. And so right off in the beginning, we want to honor their authority, talk about that, we want to honor them by respecting their position, 
We want to honor them by obeying them and submitting to them. We want to honor them by following them. We want to honor them by esteeming them. And we want to honor them by praying for them. These are all very biblical responsibilities and commands that the Bible gives to each one of us. But we all have a problem. I don't know, maybe you don't have this problem, but I, I have a feeling it's pretty universal. There is something within every one of us that has a degree of independence. And I've asked several people this question. I've asked young ladies this question. I've, I've asked young men. I've seen it in young men. There is, <clears throat> you might say, a rebel spirit in every one of us. Isn't there? Just inside of every one of us, just a little bit, maybe to, to some degree, uh, uh, some larger amount, some smaller, but we're, to some degree, rebels by birth. And if you just look at the account in Genesis, it talks about how in Genesis 3, 5, it says, uh, For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, this is Satan lying to uh, Eve, in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing and good and evil. Now, what was it that appealed to Eve? What was it? What was it that appealed to her when he said that you will be as gods? What was it that appealed to her so much? Independence. Independence. Exactly, Heidi. That's what I think it was. I think that she was thinking, God, whoa, we can be independent. Now, why she'd want to be independent, I don't know, but Satan lied to her and somehow made it look so good. But isn't there an independent spirit in every one of us to some degree? I think that there is. And this same independent, rebellious blood that was in Adam and Eve is now flowing through my veins and, and flowing through your veins. There's a degree of this in every one of us. And so we want to check that. We want to be aware of that. And that's part of our flesh. That's a degree of our flesh that isn't good. So I also want to mention here, uh, speaking about authority and how authority is delegated. I've talked about that all through these messages, about how authority is delegated to every, sing, every level that is above us. But we want to think about there is authorities that do rise that are not God-ordained. They're not godly men. And I want to emphasize, I'm not talking about that. When I'm speaking about honoring your elders, I'm going to assume, okay, that they are godly men. Not perfect, but that they're godly men. There are authorities that are not delegated by God, and we all know that. <clears throat> so let's think, first of all, about, or actually second of all, honoring them by their position. Just talk a little bit about their authority, just in that we want to recognize that there are some authorities that are worthy of honor if they're godly men, and some aren't. But let's, let's think more about the position of the leaders, honoring them for their position. We talked about that as masters, honoring masters because of their position. Talked about honoring kings, because of their position, talked about honoring parents because of their position. It's the same way here with honoring elders, and we'll see it is very clear. Um, first of all, I want to just call our attention, maybe if we was to have a text verse, it would be Hebrews 13, 17. And Hebrews 13, 17 simply says this, he says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. That's going to be kind of the verse. We'll probably refer to that maybe often during this message. Right now, I'd like to, if you have your Bibles there, turn them to Ephesians 4. In verses 11 and 12, we're going to think, we're going to see how these positions are very biblical. This is another thing that is extremely challenged today. A lot of people, they don't want a pastor. They don't want a leader. They, they resort to home churches or they resort to some other church where there's no authority. 
But we can see that authority is very biblical. I want to emphasize that. It is very biblical. We'll see here in verse 11, it says, And he gave to some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. And he says, Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we can see the positions there of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are scriptural. And then he goes and he he mentions about the responsibility that these men have. And this verse just breaks it down into three responsibilities. One of the responsibilities is for the perfecting of saints. Is that to make the saints perfect? No. If you look up that word for the perfecting of the saints, what it really means is to bring them to maturity. That's the goal of every elder and every pastor and every minister is to help bring the congregation to the maturity in Christ Jesus. That's what makes his heart throb. That's what his desire is. He also has the responsibility, his desire, God-given work, not only perfecting of the saints, but for the work of the ministry. This is the teaching of the Word of God. This is the, the counseling. There's many times that a minister or an elder will counsel and will encourage. He's, he's teaching. He's preaching. That's what it means for the work of the ministry. Sometimes it's listening to somebody's troubles and challenges. Just being a listening ear. Praying with them. That's the work of the ministry. And number three is edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying of the body of Christ. What that means to edify means to build up. His response, God-given responsibility is to build up the church, building it up. Another point that we want to emphasize here is that these men are not called by themselves. They are called by the Holy Spirit. We talked about being ordained. I believe yesterday ordained means to be chosen. They're called by God. And let's look in Acts 20, 28. This gives us a very clear verse that teaches us that these men are called by God. And he says, this is the Apostle Paul saying, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which, who? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has made us, made you overseers or superintendents. An overseer is a superintendent. He's one that is overall, he's looking over superintendent to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So we see there that they're appointed by God. These men aren't there because they want to be or because it was just they signed up for it. They're called there by God. I especially appreciate the way, the way we do that these, that these men are called by the church, ordained by the church. And Paul also mentions then to Titus, that he was supposed to go and ordain elders in every city. Paul commissioned this man to go about and ordain them. And I don't know, I'm not sure they had elections like we do, I'm not sure. But I have a picture of Titus going into a city, and he would look at the qualifications of a leader, and he would find men that he felt like fit that qualification, and he would ordain them to be elders. And Paul says... This is the reason I left you in Crete. This is Titus 1.5. That thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. That means he was to make corrections. He was to go into the city and look for areas perhaps that were wanting. There, there was needs. There was problems there. And ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. You see, Titus was appointed by Apostle Paul. He's saying you're to do the same thing. So God calls us to submit to these men because of their position. We've emphasized that over and over again. But not necessarily because we always agree with everything. We don't always agree with everything that they may say. They're fallible like we are. But he says that we are to submit to them because of their position. And I have an example for you. The Bible gives us a very good example of a young man who submitted to his head, 
to his elder, so to speak, simply because he was God-ordained. And you all remember with me uh, David. David was anointed king, and just as a little young man, maybe 15 years old. And then uh, I think the next picture we have, David goes and kills Goliath and, and kind of gets some, some fame there. And then it isn't long as the picture continues to change. David's all of a sudden running for his life. He spends seven to ten years running, running, running from Saul, from his father-in-law. And David had an opportunity one time. He had two opportunities to stick him. There was a time when Saul was come in the cave, if you remember with me, and, and he got, it was dark in there. And he got, this had to have been kind of God appointed too. I think maybe Saul's senses were a little bit dulled. I don't know. But anyway, what did he do? Cut off part of his skirt? And Saul didn't even know it. He could have killed him right there so easily in his troubles. His troubles would have been maybe over from a human perspective. Another time Saul was laying down, was sleeping in the camp, and, and a deep slumber had fallen over all the people. And David wandered out there. And again, he had, a, I think, one of his. His men says, let me stick him. It'll all be over. You'll quit running. But you know what David said? David said this. He said, uh, Behold this day, thine eyes have seen... This is David telling Saul this. Thine eyes have seen how the Lord had delivered thee today into my hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee. But mine eyes spared thee and said... I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, that's a beautiful picture of respect. Respecting this man's position. He, didn't, he wasn't respectable for his character. Saul was as corrupt as they come. He was respecting him because of who he was. Now, a question for you. Can I still honor my church leaders for their position, even if I don't agree with them in everything? Their lifestyle isn't going to be impeccable. It won't be perfect. But can I still honor them for being who they are for their position? I want to think of a few ways that we can dishonor, dishonor our elders. When I speak about elders, I'm thinking about church leaders because I believe that ministry and and even deacons also fill that responsibility. I feel like they're all worthy of the same honor. But it, there's a special position for elder, and I don't want to get away from that. But let's think about this in the context of church leaders for a little bit. What are some ways that we can dishonor them? And I've had to think about how, and I've observed this myself, how many men, many church leaders, many shepherds have been crippled. Their ministry has been crippled because of slander. Because somebody talks about them to somebody else. I'm sure we all, those of us who have a little bit of age on us, we know that. We've seen that happen. Where people have been slandered by their, their uh, church members. <clears throat> so you might call that character assassination. And it happens when disgruntled members, they don't like what somebody does, or, or maybe certain aspects about their character, their personality, and they find fault with them and pick them apart. Sometimes it may be true, but just because it's true, do we have a right to repeat it? No, I see a head shaking. No, we don't. We don't have a right to repeat it. Philippians 4, if it's true, it's got to be honest. It's got to be just. It's got to be pure. It's got to be lovely. It's got to be virtuous. It's got to be a good report before we can speak it or think it. I talked the other day about how sowing discord. It's the number, it's the granddaddy. I think of all the things God hates. Sowing discord is a granddaddy. I even mentioned that, that sowing discord is at the, the root of many, about all church splits. At least splits that occur because of of, of of lack of harmony in a church. It's so in discord. If somebody didn't like the way they handled that, they didn't handle it right. The issue fades away into oblivion, but all of a sudden, it's the way they handled it. I've seen that time and time and time again. 
<clears throat> Sowing discord. Matthew, Jesus reminds us, he says, every idle word that, that men shall speak, they will give account in the day of judgment. We need to continually be reminded of that. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.19 says, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. I think what he's saying here, don't even listen to that stuff. If somebody's got a complaint about how an elder handled something, you need to tell them, you go talk to him. You go talk to brother so-and-so. That's the only way that, the, that there could be a solution. It's not by two or three people getting together and talking about it and getting people to side with my opinion. Remember, don't even receive an accusation against an elder unless there's two or three witnesses, and they better make sure that they've already gone before a matter would be handled. We'll give you a little lesson at that, uh, maybe toward the end. But just a question. I'd like you to each examine yourselves. Have I been guilty of sowing discord by questioning a leader's character or speaking negatively about him or his family? Or his family. Maybe I've even done that just in my own family. Maybe I thought I had the the right to, to question his integrity or to slander him or talk negatively a little bit about him. Even in my own home. Do I have the license to do that? Should I do that? That could be considered slander. But have I been guilty of sowing discord or questioning a leader's character, speaking neg negatively about him or his family? It happens all the time. It happens all the time. But it's not right. Number three, I want to think about honoring them by obeying and submission. Obeying and submitting to them. There I want to, re to uh, read this verse again in Hebrews 13, 17. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Submit yourselves. You know, um, I think submission is, as we've talked about before, it's much different than just forced compliance. When I think of submission, I think of a sweet spirit, a sweet spirit of obedience. When I think of submission, it's just a, it's a sweet spirit within me. It's not a forced attitude. It's something that I have within me that comes from love. It comes from trust. Now, I want to mention about the difference between submission and surrender. I don't find anywhere in the Scripture where we're called to surrender to elders or to church leaders. I don't think that's what we're called to do. The word is submit. Submit, as we've talked about before, means to yield to authority. Yield to authority. Different than surrender. Surrender means to give over to a higher power. That means we're, it's like one, I guess we probably mentioned this before too, but it's like an army sur surrendering to a higher power. We're to do that to God. We're to, we're to sub surrender to God and submit to God. But we're just called to submit to our elders and church leaders. Again, I want to reemphasize, we're never called to submit to false teachers or, or, or to follow false teachers. We have to make that discernment. Now let's move on to a few reasons of why we're called to obey. And we find that in this same verse in, in chapter 13, of Hebrews verse 17, and it says, it says, because they're watching for your souls. They're watching for your souls. They have your welfare at heart. They're looking out for you. That's what it's saying. They're not looking out for their own skin. They're looking out for you. They're watching for your souls. This means that they're called the shepherd. It's like the shepherd out there in the, on the hills. We've heard about how 
The shepherd is watching out for his own skin? No. He's watching out for the welfare of the sheep. He's making sure that they've got pasture, that they're eating correctly, reading the Word of God, if you will. He's making sure that they're safe from predators, evil, false teachers. They're watching out for you, that you're not involved in things you shouldn't be involved in. That's why we're to obey. Now let's talk about how we're to obey. How are we to obey them? i got a few ideas for you. One is, this, is simply to submit to their counsel. Now let's assuming it's godly counsel, because we talked before, we don't submit to ungodly counsel. So we want to submit to their counsel. And we trust that these men of God are submitted to the counsel of God. We always want to compare the counsel we receive to the Word of God. Now, I realize that there may be practices and there may be things that they'll ask you to do, and that's okay. There's nothing in Scripture that says that they can't do that. Might touch on that in just a minute. <clears throat> but the point is, is we want to always compare and make sure that what we're hearing is an unsound biblically, biblical doctrine. And I, uh, about a year ago, Danelle and I was down to Grand Canyon, and as we were there, uh, there with a, several other tourists, this man came up to us, and it was kind of like he recognized us, you know, just had this beaming smile on his face, and you kind of know what's going to happen, right? When somebody walks up to you, and they're smiling, and, and Danelle was with me, and, and he, he's just so glad to see us, and and says, you look like you're Christians. And we said, yeah, we are. Are you? And he said, oh, yeah. He says, I am. And this man was probably, I don't know, 45, 40, maybe, 45 years old, maybe 50. And he says, yeah. And he says, I'm, I'm just getting ready to get married. He says, I'm getting ready to make this marriage covenant. And, and he was just so happy. And, and uh, then he, he mentioned something about his children. And, and so I kind of asked the inevitable question, well, are you, are you, have you been married before? Yeah, yeah, I have. I says, do you know what the Bible says about that? He says, well, yeah, yeah. He was aware of, of some of the scriptures. And, but he said, my pastor says it's okay. He says, I talked to my pastor about it, and he has peace with it. You see, this man was going to the wrong place for counsel. I, I went, uh, giving the pastor all due respect, but if the word conflicts with, the, with what his pastor's teaching, it's wrong. He's in the wrong church. Or if you, uh, perhaps his pastor needs to be instructed. I don't know. But you see, we have to be like this Berean brethren, constantly comparing what we're taught with the Word of God. Not in a suspicious way, but in a trusting way. Compare it to the Word of God. Now, we're to submit to admonition and rebuke. Now that doesn't sound real good, did it? Submitting to admonition and rebuke, did that feel very good when I mentioned that, Landon? Admonition, that sounds kind of sharp, doesn't it? But let's listen to the word. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul is telling Timothy, giving him some instructions on how to be a good pastor. And this is what he says. He says, preach the word, be instant in season, be available at any time. And then he says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with a stick. No, with all long suffering. With all long suffering. Now let's look at those words of reprove. Reprove. What does is, what is reprove what does reprove mean, Kent? Reprove is the word, not reproof, reprove. It means admonish. It means admonish. Uh, so here he was telling, telling Timothy that, that you've got the authority. You have the God-given authority to admonish your hearers, admonish your congregation. And it could be correction too. I think there's a certainly means that also. But you're to admonish them. And then he also says to rebuke them. To rebuke them. Heidi, what does rebuke mean? Take a shot. What's rebuke? It's, harsh. It's, it's harder than admonition. It is. You're right. Rebuke means 
to reprimand. It's like when our parents rebuked us, they reprimanded us. It is harsher than, an, than just an admonition. It's to reprimand for a fault, or it means to chide. You see, these things kind of, re, we resist these a little bit. But Paul was saying, you've got the authority to do this. You've got the authority to correct, to admonish. You have the authority to, to, to reprimand. Too often, some of us, perhaps pastors, were a little bit hesitant to do that because afraid how people will react. But we have to take this responsibility. And then he says to exhort. To exalt. That just means, exhort means to call near, to entreat, or to give advice. This is the responsibility given to an elder or a pastor. So we're to submit to admonition or rebuke. Then I want to think again just briefly about cheerful obedience and submission. And he says here that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. This means that if we are cheerfully obedient, this means that a leader, this means that a pastor, he can lead with joy. And it's not with grief. It's not with a burden that, ah, wish I could get this message to them that I love them. He's saying that, that it should be, we should cheerfully obey so that they can, uh, they can lead with joy and not with grief. Who would want to put an elder, who would want to put a pastor to grief? Well, if I'd ask you to raise your hand, nobody would raise their hand. But how many people do? Because there isn't cheerful cooperation and obedience. Let's go on. So we're also to, uh, these are ways in which we're to obey. We've talked about submitting to their counsel, submitting to admonition and rebuke, cheerfully obedience. Now we're to do it with trust and humility. We talked earlier a little bit about trust. First uh, Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. There's the word submission again. Unto the elder. This could be older people too, certainly that application. Yet all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and gives grace unto the humble. I think humble, submitted church members are in a position to receive grace and favor from God. God will bless you for that. <clears throat> now, I want to tell you a little story that I read, I thought was very interesting, that gives a good example, it gives you a picture of submitting cheerfully with love and obedience and, and submission. There was this family uh, that went uh, to an ice skating party one evening. And as they were driving into the driveway to park their cars, they noticed that most of the cars there were all solid black cars. And that wasn't unusual because this would have been in a very conservative Mennonite uh, area, so most of the cars were black. And as they were parking their car, they, they noticed that the headlights kind of uh, shined under the car in front of them. And the car that was in front of them was this jacked up Chevy SS. It was all black. It had black trim. It had black bumpers. It was black everywhere. Only one thing that wasn't black. And that was the, the rear end, the differential that was underneath of the car was bright orange. Now, I don't know if you ladies understand what the rear end of the car is, but it's this, it's this differential that's clear underneath the car, and it's this little thing that kind of hangs down there, and you don't, normally don't even see it. But when, it, when a jacked-up sports car, it's plain, plain sight, especially if it's orange. Now, did this church member comply with what his church was asking him? Well, did he? I think he did. He had a black car. There was no rule that they couldn't have a, a bright orange differential. <laughs> he could have a black car. He had a black car. But what was this man's heart? 
Was it submission? No, it wasn't submission. It was everything but submission. See, this is the difference. What I've been trying to tell or to share with you, the difference between compliance and submission. He complied with the rule, but he didn't submit to his authorities. He didn't submit to his church leaders. Many rules can be followed with a cold-hearted, self-righteous heart. And that happens so often in some communities, and I trust that that would never be one of us, but it just illustrates how we want to comply with the spirit of what we're asked to do. So a question, we can examine ourselves. Self-examination question. Do I honor my elders by cheerful submission with my heart? Or do I obey just because I have to? Along with that, am I receptive to correction and admonition? Or does my pride get in the way? Well, we want to move on. Number four, thinking about honoring by following. Honoring by following. Now, I'm going to mention something you maybe haven't even thought about. But let's... Let's go back to the scripture again. Let's look at Hebrews 13, 7. Hebrews 13, 7 teaches us to honor them by following them. And here's what it says. He says, remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. Whose faith follow. It goes on considering the end of their conversation. That doesn't mean their words. It means their lifestyle. So you want to follow them considering their manner of living, how they're displaying their life before the world and before the church family. I wrote down my own version. Sam's version is this. Remember your godly leaders who have spoken God's word to you. Think about how they have lived their life and imitate their faith. I think that's what it's saying. Imitate their faith. That's okay if they're following the Lord Jesus Christ. Whose faith follow? First Thessalonians 5.12 says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them that labor among you. This is the reason why we don't encourage you to listen to every preacher on the radio. Because you don't know who they are. They may sound ever so good what they're preaching and what they're teaching, but you don't know their faith. I want to caution you that with that. It says, Know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. So we want to listen to those brethren that are preaching the Word of God and we know where they come from. We know what they believe. And it's so easy to listen to something and we really don't know their background or what they really believe. Does that make sense to you? <clears throat> okay, so we're encouraged here to personally know who our leaders are, believe, watch, and to imitate their faith, their godly example. There's another area I want to caution you on. I have fallen for this time after time, and I want to warn you, be careful what you read. Most of the books, 99% of the books that you're going to read about theology, you know where they're going to come from? They're going to come from mainstream Protestant churches. Is it all bad? I'm not saying don't read them. I'm wanting to warn you. It is so easy to get led away with a doctrine that sounds so plausible. A man can explain anything, and it sounds good. But again, you don't know their faith. You don't know really what all they believe. So be very careful. I'm not saying again, don't read them. I'm encouraging you. Be very cautious of what you read. Because you can fall for something, and it, again, it sounds so plausible, so good. Be very careful. I remember I, was, I saw a title of a book in a bookstore. I can't remember what it was, but it was written by this man called Timothy Keller. 
something about the love of God. And I said, oh, that sounds like a good book. And I, I was thinking about buying it and ordering it on Amazon, that river down in Brazil. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I'm going to check this guy out. because I, I remembered Philip Keller. Philip Keller was a very godly man, very godly teacher. And he was a man who wrote, a shepherd who looks at Psalm 23. I thought, maybe he's his son. You know, well, I looked him up. No. This man has some crazy view of even creation. I, I forget what it's called. It doesn't matter. But it, I, if he don't have creation right, do I want to read about how he believes on God? No. You see, we don't know these men. And fortunately, I've, I did look him up online, and I found out he was what he believed. I never bought the book. I was glad I didn't. Just, again, another warning. i got to keep moving here. So I just want to encourage you examine these yourself with this question, do I really know who I'm following? Not only my elders, but other spiritual advisors. Other spiritual advisors, including acquaintances and books. To say we live in a time of mass deception would be the understatement. We live in a time when people are being deceived. And he says... We're in a time when even the very elect will be deceived. We must be so cautious. Okay, we want to talk about number five, esteeming our elders. Honor them by esteeming. Now, this is going to get even perhaps a little more convicting. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 13 I know I'm probably repeating myself, but I'll read the verse again. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And then he says, and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Another verse that goes along with that in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, I guess that's just a couple of verses down, says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially they that labor in word and doctrine. So we have two verses here that we are commanded, commanded by God to honor them by esteeming them very highly and counting them worthy of double honor. To esteem them very highly, what does that mean? What does that mean? Let's think think about that. It means to give them utmost respect in light of their labors, in light of the fact that they're laboring in word and doctrine, in light of the fact that they're leaders, we're to give them, esteem them very highly. That means utmost respect. Double honor even is on top of that. Double honor, it means to prize extremely high. When you give double honor, you give honor to somebody, that's one thing. When we give double honor, that's honor upon honor. Do you realize that the amount of honor we are to give these godly elders that lead us and pastors? Do you see what it's saying here? I thought of four different ways that we can give double honor. You can give double honor to a leader. Every one of you can do this. Number one, live in peace with the church. When you're at peace and harmony and you're not a troublemaker, you're not one stirring up Crete and throwing dust in the air, you can give them double honor by living in peace with the church, obeying what they ask you to do, submitting to them. Number two is living out the word that is preached. I can't think of any higher honor then for a minister to see his, his, his flock begin to grow and begin to change and begin to apply the Word of God and even communicating that back to them, how they're growing, how they're learning. Living out the Word that is preached. Number three is being a builder. There's always two kinds of, of members in a church. I think there's those that are on the building team, there are those that are that are right behind Him. They're building. They're encouraging. They're exhorting. Those are the builders. And then there's those that are on the wrecking crew. I don't know if there's anybody in between. 
I almost think you're either doing one or the other. If you're not doing anything, I think you're on the wrecking team. So we need to be builders. We need to be so encourage, uh, yeah, being builders, godly builders, rather than on the wrecking team. And number four is show your support, not just by thinking about them. I'm going to talk about praying about them, but show the, your support that it's real. And I just encourage people, I've encouraged you already to, to write a card or a note to your parents. And this is one way in which we can, we can bless them and we can give them double honor is by taking the time. I didn't say an email. You notice that? Emails are impersonal. There's a time and a place for texting. This is not one. I'm talking about personal handwritten cards or notes. That is one way that you can give them double honor. If I was to ask any of you elders back there, what does a card mean to you or a note mean to you? We've got three elders sitting back there. Does it bless you? Does it bring tears to your eyes sometimes? Do you throw them away? No. You put them in a box. Or you hang them on, the, on your wall in your office. You don't throw them away. We'll come back to that in a minute. Okay, examine ourselves. What are some ways we can give double honor? to our ministers and to our elders. <clears throat> We've given you some ideas. Hopefully you've written them down. I wish I'd had this perhaps in a handout for you. But <clears throat> let's go on. We can honor them by praying for them. Honoring them by prayer. I hear the words of the Apostle Paul, and I want you to listen to his heart. I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures. And listen to the Apostle's heart. I think there's a plea here that he's pleading with his people. Listen to this. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. Don't you hear him pleading like Mark was saying? He's saying, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. I remember one day I was out of state. I was getting ready to give a message to a congregation at a communion, and I got a text from a dear sister. There is a time for texts, and this is one of them. I got this text that said, it had this verse on it. And that just blessed me so much. She, she gave me this verse, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of God may be a free course and be glorified. And what she was saying, that she was praying for me, that the word of God could have free course. That means it could just flow freely. It could glorify the Lord Jesus. And here's another verse. It's in 1 Thessalonians 5.25. And here he just says, Brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. I think that's a cry of the Apostle Paul. Strong churches are made of prayer warriors. Several things that prayer does. I'm going to have to move through these quickly. Prayer makes an appeal on the, for, on the behalf of the minister. I, you can see that there in that verse in Thessalonians. Here's a few reasons to hold them up in prayer. Number one is I believe that ministry and elders and pastors face tremendous spiritual battles and spiritual attacks from the enemy. We face tremendous... I'm not an elder. I'm a minister. And I face tremendous attacks when I'm preparing a message. And distractions of all sorts, you have no idea. We want to pray for them, realizing that, that we're holding the enemy at bay when we're, when we're praying fervently for them. Number two, we need to remember that a minister is a frontline soldier. He's a frontline soldier. If he can be defeated, the whole church can fragment. We need to remember he's on the front line. Pray that he'll have wisdom to lead. Number three, I want to remind you, you don't know this because unless you have a father that's a minister, but ministry is a very lonely place. Isn't it, brethren? It's a very lonely place, and that's okay. We've got the Lord Jesus. But I want you to remember that as you're praying for them, remember 
It's very lonely. It's in the public spotlight. And you may think it isn't lonely, but it is. It's very lonely. Oftentimes there's a solitude just in preparing messages. You know, there's times that I'd like to be out riding horses. I'd like to be out fishing. I'd like to be... I mean, I'm not saying that I'd rather be doing that than preparing a message. Don't misunderstand me. I, I'm not saying that. But it's lonely. You're in, you're in the house. Off to yourself in solitude. And I, and I enjoy that. I, but it is lonely. And just pray that, that they'll have the strength from God, sufficient grace to stand alone. To stand alone. I already mentioned uh, number four. I mentioned this earlier, but a minister's greatest desire is that the word of Lord of the Lord may have be may be glorified and have free course in you. Just pray that he'll be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And I like this, the rest of that, or maybe another verse that says, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. That's if you want to put right that, it's Ephesians 6:19. You can pray that prayer, that verse, for a pastor. Okay. And point number five here about prayer is I want you to remember that ministers are subject to sin. You know that. We know that. But we need to pray that they'll be surrendered to God and that They'll be able to have, I guess what I wanted out of this is that, that Satan attacks the conscience of a minister and, and tries to defeat him. And, and again, he sins. He does sin. He's weak just like the rest, rest of us. We're all in the flesh. But we need to pray that God will protect him from sin, deliver him from sin. And here again, here are the, here are the apostles or whoever wrote Hebrews, if it was Paul, but anyway, Hebrews 13, 18, he says, again, pray for us. That's three times I've read those words, pray for us. For we trust that we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. I think what he's saying there, pray for us, that we can live honestly. No, that wasn't so that he wouldn't steal. I think he's saying that we could live honestly, so we'd have a clear conscience. We wouldn't, be, we wouldn't have any hypocrisy. We come to deliver a message we don't want any hypocrisy in our lives. So pray for, pray for them in that way. And also, as I've already alluded to about uh, giving them double honor, here's another way, is let them know that you're praying for them. Let them know that you're praying for them. I, that is such a blessing. Us speakers have all been encouraging each other. I'm praying for you. We pray for each other before every message. And I wouldn't be standing here if I didn't think anybody was praying for me. I'd be sitting back there right beside Norm listening to somebody else. So they need the prayers of the people. They need to know that you're praying for them. Now here's the statistic. I don't know if this is true with us, but this is what it is. One pastor did some research and found most people do not prepare in any significant way for church. Most people go to church just expecting, just like you go to a restaurant or a smorgasbord, to be fed. They're not, pre not preparing through prayer. And this is what the statistic was. In an average church, fewer than half of the worshipers pray for their encounter with the sermon. That's just saying fewer than half the people just show up without praying that God will touch their heart. And it also said, the other thing was, less than one-third pray for the minister and his preparation. So an examined question is examined, will I begin to prepare for worship by committing to praying for my ministers while they are preparing before and during the service? Think about, am I going to commit to prayer, praying for them? I want to talk briefly about solving conflicts. I mentioned earlier that elders are not infallible. And, and no man has it together. I'm just going to be very brief on this. 
The way to solve a conflict, as you know, is not to go tell your friend what you don't agree on. The way to do it is the way we've all agreed. It's Matthew 18. It's going, and if you have a, a, a problem with a church, with a leader, you go and talk to him one-on-one. -on -one. I'll move on. Just in closing, I want to think about, I wrote down that the perilous times that we live in. And in 2 Timothy 2, chapter 3, we could just turn to that real quick. 2 Timothy 2, chapter 3, he says this. He says, know that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men will be lovers of their own selves, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. It goes on. I don't think I'm going to read them all. But I want you to think about these are oftentimes the battles that we face. I realize that, that, that we may not, some of these issues may not affect us direct, directly. But this is what's going on in the culture around us. This is, what's, this is the pressure that is happening to the church, happening to the world around us, but some of these things do creep into the church. We want to make sure that we have the opposite of these. This is why I'm mentioning these. is so that rather than be lovers of self, we'll be lovers of God. Rather than be covetous, we'll be content. Rather than boasters and proud, we'll have humility. Rather than blasphemers, we'll have kind words. Rather than uh, disobedient to parents, we'll be obedient. Rather than ungrateful, we'll be grateful. Rather than ungodly, godly. Rather than false accusers, we'll have integrity in our conversation. Rather than lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, we'll have Christian service. We want to just examine ourselves. Which of these character traits are evident in my life? This will bless your elders. This will bless your pastors, your church leaders, if we are manifesting the opposite of these character traits. Think about our, again, just briefly, about the culture and the society around us. And does it sound anything like the book of Judges, how he says, in those days there was no king in Israel, but everyone did what was right in his own eyes? As I was in Seattle yesterday, that's kind of what I observed. It's just kind of everybody does kind of what's right in their own eyes. That's what's going on in our culture around us. And there's a um, Joshua, under his leadership, when he was leading the people, the people followed. There was good, godly, sound leadership. My point in this is I want us to recognize the blessing of the leadership under Joshua and of good, godly elders. Things went, went rather, I shouldn't say they went smooth, but they went in a positive direction, especially toward the end of Joshua's leadership. And in Judges 2.7, he says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works that the Lord did for Israel. And then in verse 10, it says this. He says, And there arose a generation that were gathered, and that, excuse me, and also that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord and did not the works and nor the works which he had done in Israel. I'm trying to go too fast. But after Joshua dies, it spirals because there wasn't good leadership. That's really the point of what I'm trying to make here. And you can see the chaos that follows uh, after everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So we need good leadership. Last of all, I want to think about, this is in closing, conclusion here, Asking the question, why are there so many church splits? Why are there so many divisions? It's not only in our fellowship, it's happening all over. It's a universal problem. Churches just fragment. You probably see this in China, Mark. I mean, where churches just fragment. I want to just share something with you. It was a little bit of a aha for me. And what happens is, is they get disgruntled with parental authorities. Oftentimes, that's where it begins. If there's not respect in, a, in, the, in the home, there isn't respect in the church. I've seen that happen time and time again. And so they reject the biblical model 
of good church leadership. Some kind of reacting to anything that looks like leadership and fear of rigidity and fear of legalism. And it has its, it has its roots in rebellion. I want to give you a little illustration. In, in Numbers chapter 15, it gives uh, toward the end of there, I'm just going to summarize that God told Moses uh, what they were, how they were to deal with their fringes on their garments so that they would remember the commandments of God. You remember that? They would put, it, put fringes on their garments. And they were to put this fringe on them. And Moses said that the fringe should be white with a single blue thread on it. That's what Moses said. Now, Korah and his company, they had a different idea. They thought that their coats should be solid blue and the fringes all blue. And that's really what started the rebellion of Korah. Moses insisted that Korah comply. And what did Korah do? Korah went and got a bunch of buddies, 250 men that were renowned, well-known people, and got them behind him, and he, he caused this rebellion. And he said to Moses, he says, ah, oh, you're, you're taking too much on yourself. And that happens all the time. In churches, you take too much upon yourself, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. He says, wherefore, lift ye up yourselves from above the congregation. Wherefore, then, lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. In other words, he says, Why do you, who do you think you are, Moses, to tell us how we have to do our fringes? It's kind of interesting. It close, you know, what it had to do, do with. And you kind of know the end of the story. You know, Korah got his feelings hurt, and uh, perhaps and the earth opened up, swallowed them. God judged them. Because of the rebellion, they stirred up because they didn't like Moses' leadership. Okay, I want to close with something. This is a little out of the ordinary for me, but I'm going to, I felt like the Lord leading me to do this. <clears throat> In the context here of honoring our elders, we've talked about how to, to properly honor elders and how to give them double honor. And we talked about double honor meant to prize them highly. We've talked about how elders are in the front line of the battle every day. And, and how Paul pleaded, 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 brethren, pray for us. Now I'm going to ask you if you're willing to go home and do two things. If you're willing to make two commitments... Two commitments is what I'm asking you to do in the context of what we've shared here. One is prize them with a card or a note of appreciation for what they do for you in their godly leadership, their godly example, the time they spend in preparing sermons. I'm speaking primarily about elders and pastors. You can do that to all your ministry. But I'm primarily asking a commitment from you to go home and commit to, do, to give a card to at least one of them of a note of appreciation. Letting them know you're praying for them. Whatever you want to write. Number two, are you willing to commit to praying fervently for them as they're shepherding the flock, as they're preaching messages, as they're preparing messages, are you willing to commit to fervently pray for them? You understand the two questions? One, giving them a card of appreciation. Two, a commitment to praying for them. Every time you know, every time God prompts you, it shouldn't be just when they prepare messages. Remember, they're on the front line. I'd like to ask you to do something. If you're willing to do that, I'd like to ask you to stand with me as a commitment, as a testimony that you're willing to do that. Praise the Lord. I know that there's going to be some elders that are going to receive some cards. And even more than that, I know there's going to be some elders that are going to be feeling the prayers of the people that are supporting them. Would you all stand as we close in prayer? Father God, we come this afternoon. We recognize, Father, that we're in a battle. 
And we live in a time in which the, which the devil is trying to divide churches and trying to cause splits and disharmony in our churches. Father, we live in a time in which we are bombarded by lies from Satan. We live in a time, Father, when we're bombarded by his, his opposition for the preaching, for the preparing of messages, for the leading of churches. And Father, there's a group of young people here today that have committed to standing for their elders, that have committed to pleading before the throne of God for their welfare, for their spiritual welfare, for the preparation of their messages, for their leadership, for their wisdom. Father, we just pray that you'll bless them as they sit down and they write a note and a card and, a, and an encouragement to them. Father, that you'll put your... You'll give them wisdom what to write and just, just how to express themselves in a way that will be a tremendous blessing. And we know this isn't just a once in a lifetime. Perhaps many of them already do this, but Father, this can be a practice that they can do over and over and over again. And what a blessing it can be. Father, for your kingdom and for your glory. We just want to praise you and thank you for this group of young people who are committed to you, committing, committed to following Jesus. We just pray that you'll bless them, Lord, in their service for you. Give them a boldness. Give them the assurance of your spirit and your power that he is behind them all the way, as the Bible says, even unto the ends of the world. We praise thy holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.